0: Good morning. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday. 97.5, 12.80, 97.5, 12.80, the zone. We're going to go out to the Sprint Special Guest Line right now. The Sprint Special Guest Line, we make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Please visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability to find out when Sprint is open and they're there to serve you. Joining us now, Jim Olson, president of Larry H. Miller Sports and Entertainment. Jim, good morning.
1: Good morning. How you doing?
0: Uh, You know, we're hanging in there having fun and uh, waiting for sports to come back. Uh, Sometimes we have to have some news that isn't the best, and we had that the other day with the passing of Coach Jerry Sloan, and I know you knew Coach Sloan very well, knew him for a long time. When I bring up the name of Jerry Sloan, what comes to your mind?
1: Oh, wow. You probably caught me off guard with that simple of a question because so much (laughs) comes to my mind. I mean, it's just... I mean I I I told my children this the other day and and I I, I probably won't phrase it exactly how I told to told it to them cuz maybe there's a personal aspect to it but but there are very few men or people in this world that I that I respect like I respect Jerry Sloan uh the impact he had on me the impact he had on so many um throughout the community throughout the country throughout the basketball world You name it, Uh, Jerry Sloan um, was was an incredible man, and uh, it's just respect, loyalty, honesty, hard work. Uh, So many things come to mind when I think of Jerry Sloan.
0: They put his obituary out there, and I read it, and they had a quote. It was along the lines. I'll paraphrase it about how, you know, when the great scorer in the sky, I think, uh, looks at your, your final score, he isn't going to necessarily look at the final score. He's going to look at, you know, did you compete the best that you can? And I've always believed as far as a, a coach, and I know Jerry didn't win the title, but I always thought that the coach's job is to put the players in the position, and the players are they're going to sh- actually have to uh, go ahead and an accomplishment. I mean, the coach is going to set them up to do it. And when I look at what I view the role of a coach, in my mind, get your thought on this, Jerry was as good as there was,
1: or is. No question about it. He, and, and I like how you said it both ways. He was as good as there was and, and as good as there ever will be. Uh, Jerry gave every player the opportunity to be great. Uh, you know, it was up to them. He used to say something um, that that I thought I've thought a lot about. Um, uh, not sure. Maybe I had mixed feelings about it at certain times, but over time, I definitely have come to agree with it. But Jerry used to say, "My job's not to motivate these guys. They they have to come already motivated,
2: ready to go, ready to work
1: hard, and and that's who you had to be to to be successful and play for Jerry. And, and if you did that." If you came motivated, ready to go, ready to work hard, he would do exactly what you just said. He put you in a position to be great and in a position to win.
0: Jim Olson, president of Larry H. Miller Sports and Entertainment, joining us. And I was trying to think, you know, and I know you've been around. You went back, lived on the East Coast for a while, did some, uh, I think, postgraduate work there. And so, you know, you've been involved in sports for a long time. I'm trying to think of someone who connected from the coaching aspect. You know, players are a little bit different. But from the coaching aspect, who connected and represented the city that he or she was in where they worked. Better than what Jerry Sloan did for obviously the Wasatch Front in the state of Utah. Does anybody come to mind? Because it seems like the connection that the city, the people therein, had with the coach was as good as there is.
1: You know, you're exactly right. And as you talk about my experience back east, I was living—you know—I lived in Boston, and uh, you go down to you know Samuel Market, and there's the the statue of Red Arbuck sitting there, you know, sitting. Uh, down in that in Daniel market area and uh you know you think of, of great you know coaches great uh men in sports like like him but but you know the thing about Jerry is is you know let's face it we're we're a little bit of a smaller market we don't have all the professional sports uh Jerry is the one here in Utah uh, there haven't been other coaches other sports other individuals who've had the opportunity to have the impact that Jerry did and so when you take the connection of, of how great Jerry was both as an individual and as a coach, his commitment to this community, his longevity in this community, I, I'm not sure there's an individual that's had an impact on a, on a community, a city, a state like, like Jerry has. It, it, you know, Quinn said it best in his quote, Quinn Snyder said it best in his quote, the, the legacy of Jerry lives on in, in our organization and always will. You know, one of our values as a company is hard work. And uh, I I, that, I think a lot of that's contributed to Jerry, you know, bringing your lunch bell to work every day, putting in an honest day's work. And when you think about the impact he had, it, it's unmeasurable.
0: So the other day when we were talking about it, uh, Jerry Sloan and reflecting upon him, we had somebody uh, get on our app and left a message with us, and he said that, you know, I'd get up every day, and not every day I wanted to go to work. Speaking of me personally, I'm one of the fortunate guys that I get up every day, just can't wait to get to work. I mean, it's this job is incredible, so I'm so grateful to have it. It doesn't even seem like work. But for some people, it's not that way. <laughs> and You know, they have to go to work. They don't particularly like their jobs, but they have to go. And the guy said, on the days that I didn't want to go, I think of – and thought of jerry sloan who went to work every day and i thought wow what a tribute somebody the jury probably never met but this guy saying i got a family to support i got to get my butt to work and so i'm going to follow through with that work ethic i thought that was a tremendous tribute to what jerry sloan was about
1: you know you're exactly right and and some might say to that comment well Boy, is is it hard to wake up and go be a coach, an NBA coach, every day? I mean, I got to tell you, being close to it and watching it up front, yeah, I'm not sure there's a there's a harder job out there. And and you know, imagine waking up every day, the travel schedule, dealing with with the issues the, that you deal with in in the NBA. But but as you were telling that story, I also thought about you know in the off season, um, you know, Jerry could go sit around and probably go to the beach and, you know, have the resources to do that. He went back to his farm and worked on his farm. He pulled out the tractor and started farming. I mean, it, it wasn't just you know, being on the court that we all saw Jerry coaching the games. It was it was behind the scenes. It was the Early mornings, the late nights—it was the off seasons of still finding work to do. And I mean, th- you're exactly right. And I think people that uh, will will follow his example of getting up and, and committing and having the attitude to work hard every day are are going to find a lot of success in their lives. And, and Jerry was, was a perfect example of that.
0: I don't know, Jim, how much you do social media, but reading tributes. From so many folks that were on social media, and, and, and we talk about how Twitter is a cesspool of negativity, and you know, I, and I tend to get beat up on Twitter because I make opinions that people don't like. And this time, I thought Twitter was a great example of what. It could be because I saw stuff like I brought it up from Alex English, who didn't even play for Jerry Sloan. and said one of the great, regret, great regrets he had or mistakes he made was not signing with the Jazz at the end of his career when he went over and I place he played one season with the Dallas Mavericks. I don't even remember that. I remember him, obviously, with the Denver Nuggets. And guys like Paul Millsap and C.J. Miles and Scottie Pippen taking to social media and paying these tributes, I thought it was just fabulous.
1: You know, it, it was fabulous. We were actually talking about that the other day on, on one of our calls. Uh, you know, the the impact that he had, as I mentioned earlier, through through the basketball world, the, the community, the country, I mean, the tributes that were coming from all over the place, people that had, had been impacted by him, com- people that he competed against. You know, I think it's probably one of the greatest compliments when someone that you competed against Uh, and we know Jerry was one of the greatest competitors, but uh, when people you competed against come out and say, you know, you're one of the greatest coaches or, you know, you learn more from watching him coach, even though you didn't play for his team, it, it was unbelievable. And, and I I will add, I I want to agree with you. Um, I'm on social media. I'm proud. I'm not very active. I, I guess I, I'm involved when I think there's something important to be involved with. But, but all the negativity and, and keyboard courage that exists out there in and, and social media can be a little frustrating. But uh, this was an example where it gave people a platform and a voice to be positive and to share you know, the, the greatness that Jerry, Jerry was and will continue to be in our lives.
0: Jim Olson, president of LHM Sports Entertainment, joining us. I'm going to throw something at you. It's a little off the wall, and I think you probably expect off the wall stuff from me, so you're not be surprised. But if I'm going to (laughs) list, I'm going to list the five most important, we'll go five because obviously that's the starting lineup in basketball, the five most important figures in Utah Jazz history. And I'll throw these names out at you and get your response you can agree disagree or tell me to shut up whatever you want okay uh, so i'm going to go two players and obviously i'm going to go stockton alone Yep. they they you know they stand alone there's a, players down the line we'll see if mitchell and gobert and who knows whom can achieve what they achieve but to put those from the player aspect and then from management aspect obviously you're going to go larry miller Yep. And I'm going to go Frank Layden, and I'm going to go Jerry Sloan. So those are my top five most important figures in Utah Jazz history. React to that.
1: So my first reaction is is I'm going to agree with you on the on all five of those without a doubt. The only thing I'm going to add one thing, and and we'll it's okay to count this as one. But you, but you mentioned Larry Miller, which which is absolutely the truth. Uh, but I would like to add uh, Gail Miller to that uh Larry and Gail Miller yeah, i think I think are are one in the same in, in their efforts and and uh commitment and success uh, for what they've done for for the jazz in this community so so I agree with you, you know each one of those individuals uh all of those individuals uh, you could almost make an argument the team might still not be in Utah without something they did or their impact or the influence they had on on. First of all, uh, keeping the team in Utah, helping the team win so it could afford to stay in Utah, um, leading during early times, difficult times, challenging times, uh, growing a franchise into one of what we consider one of the great franchises in the NBA. Uh, you know, proven track record of winning and, and having great leaders, great great teams, great players. So uh, all of them have had an impact on keeping this team and building this team, keeping this team in Utah and building it to the great franchise that it is.
3: Did you ever
0: hear or talk to either Frank or Larry as to why they brought and then, in in Larry's case, kept Jerry Sloan on
1: like they did? yeah you know I, I actually i i remember uh Larry talking to us many many years ago, and um you know it was it was during the good times of course but but I remember Larry talking about loyalty and I remember you know and and he was he wasn't saying this in a sense that there was any discussion of of replacing Jerry because once again it was during good times but but he was, really was saying even and even if and when we we go through challenging times there's an element of loyalty that, that really came from Larry. And, you know, the loyalty ends up going both ways. Uh, Larry was loyal to the very end and, and people that worked for Larry and still worked for the group. Uh, develop that same loyalty. And and I think Larry understood that, that when you can communicate and, and show a loyalty, especially think about in a coaching world, I, I read the number of how many coaching changes there were during Jerry's career as a head coach, and I can't remember what it is off, off the top of my head, but it was unbelievably high. There you go. That, yeah, that's right. And when, yeah. when you think about the number of coaching changes that took place during the time that we had zero coaching changes, it, it it really came from Larry's commitment to build loyalty. And when you understand that that your owner, your boss, whoever you know, work you work for has a loyalty to you, it, it creates a, a desire for you to express that loyalty back. For you to be. Uh, to to work hard, to want to be successful, to want to give everything you have back to that company. And and I think Larry and and Jerry and the rest of the organization developed that very early on. And as I said, it, it still exists today.
0: Speaking with Jim Olson, and Jim is the president of Larry H. Miller Sports and Entertainment. How much time are you or your folks, whoever they may be, Above you, below you, including yourself, spending on talks about resuming competition for the twenty uh, for the nineteen twenty season.
1: Yeah, I would tell you there are talks every single day, um, and it's everything from uh, you know what what the team is going to go through to, to get back. You know, you're hearing talks. Uh, you know, the NBA has come out, and you know there, there's there's the talks of resuming in Orlando and and uh, trying to get that in place and what that will mean, regular season games and a, a playoff format. But but locally, you know, we're talking about the arena and how we're going to make sure that when fans can come back that that arena is, is safe. And not only that it's safe, that people, but also that people feel safe. And we're going through, you know, every square inch of that place and understanding what's going to be required to – to make sure it's clean and sanitized and and people have the proper information that they need. You know, we're talking on a regular basis with our ticket holders and what their expectations can be. And obviously we don't have a date when fans will come back, but we know that there will come a time when fans are back in the arena full force and what that's going to mean and and what they can expect to, to experience. And, you know, we're talking with our our business partners, our sponsors, and, and what they can expect, what kind of experience they they can have and how they're going to advertise their products. And so I will tell you every single day, there are discussions uh, going on about, about when we're going to resume and, and how we will. And we've got, we've got a plan. Well, we are we're working on plans, and the plans change maybe daily. But we are working on plans that uh, take care of every scenario that could happen. You know, we don't just it's not just one plan for the scenario, but it's it's a plan for no fans and TV, partial fans and TV, and all fans and TV, and and resuming at another single site, like uh, you know I mentioned earlier. So. We've got business plans for every scenario, and, and we're going to be ready to go.
0: Do you think there's a date that they have to make a decision by? What's the timeline, basically?
1: Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put. I don't want to put a specific date on it, but I will tell you, time is coming where um, you know we we're on an NBA call yesterday, and I will tell you that time is coming where where decisions are going to be made uh the, the comment was made yesterday on the call that we're getting close to where we're going to have to put a stake in, a, in the ground and, and move forward from that. So, you know, I, I think we can all look forward to, uh, you know, uh, upcoming information that's going to let us know definitely what this year means and, and also uh, the 2021 season and, and uh, how we can plan for that.
0: Okay, so you think that there'll be a decision, obviously for this some type of resumption of this season, but not too far beyond that, there would be some form of announcement as far as the 2021 season.
1: Yes, at least uh, at least a general uh, timeline or or. Um yeah, timeline of, of of what people can expect. It's getting to the point where you know we do have we're getting enough information. We're understanding enough of how this is working and, and what the requirements are going to be to get back to play. That uh, you know we're going to be able to to start making some decisions so people can plan accordingly.
0: And then what's going on as far as players and your practice
1: facility? Well, we've got players coming back, uh, working out now. Um, and, uh, you know, very strict guidelines. Uh, the training staff and, and coaching staff has, has been very thorough to make sure that it's, it's very safe. Uh, the NBA has guidelines. We've got city, county, state guidelines. And I can tell you, we are operating even stricter than the guidelines that have been put in place. Um, our first priority is for those players to come back and work out is their safety and uh, the the guidelines are in place, and uh, we've got an incredible staff that uh, is monitor monitoring the whole process. And but guys are coming back and getting some workouts in, and uh, uh, it, it's exciting.
0: One of the things, Jim Jim Olson from LHM Sports Entertainment, joining us is that uh, when I've heard Adam Silver talk, he said earlier at one of the interviews that they're open to just about any suggestion. Uh, I don't want to use the word funky, but how different do you think when the play, if the play comes back, it will look compared to what we're normally used to in terms of formulas and playoff brackets?
1: Well, you know, that's still yet to be determined. Um, Adam's leadership through this whole process, I think, has been wonderful. Uh, and, and it's it's to the reason that you mentioned. he's been, He's maintained a very open mind. There's never been a... We can't do this. We have to do this. It has to be this way. It's been everything's on the table. Everything's open for discussion. We want to hear all thoughts, all opinions. And, you know, maybe some people have, have gotten a little discouraged that there hasn't been, you know, quicker decisions made. But it's because of of the approach of, of wanting to leave everything on the table as long as possible to discuss every possible solution, opportunity. Uh, uh anything that may work and so yeah it, it, my you know there's there's still discussions that could change you know things from being you know from the traditional format that you play a regular season the regular season ends and you know the 16 teams qualify and and you play you know start the playoffs that way uh, there's a chance still that it could be a little different from that and how it resumes is yet to be determined and and uh but, but to Adam's leadership every being turned over and uh, we're looking at every option to make it the best scenario for the players and the fans.
0: One of the fun things I always enjoy is that when the finals are over then you got the draft, then you got the free agency so you got like that three, four week just intense period of players changing I think we as fans really enjoy that type of stuff it's like gossip and who's moving where so my question for you is that what's going to be the timeline or probably maybe you don't even know but as far as the draft and then when the start of free agency because we know it's always been the end of June 1st of July do
1: you think that will work yeah that's all still being determined um, it's you know there's a lot of discussions you know can you have can you have? I mean, can you have free agency when games are still being played? Probably not, right? So yeah. you know that whole timeline's being figured out. You got to figure out the draft, and and so that's all part of the timeline of resuming play for possible regular season games, playoff scenario. Uh, draft free agency and then the start of the 2021 season that it'll all be laid out uh in in order in a way that uh makes sense for for the league and the players uh and and you know the front offices to be able to make those decisions
0: jim thanks for joining us this morning and talking about jerry sloan and what's ahead for the nba we appreciate it
1: hey good good to be with you hope you're well stay safe and uh thanks for all you do
0: all right that's jim olson LHM President Sports and Entertainment joining us. A lot of stuff to talk about there. Jerry Sloan and then obviously the NBA going forward in some form or fashion. And I like the idea that they're going to move and have something rather than just discussing it forever here. Have some type of time, as Jim said, where you put a stake in the ground. And we'll follow that. And whenever that is, obviously we'll be all over that. All right, coming up next, we'll talk a little more jazz. And the NBA with Andy Bailey who covers the NBA and the Jazz for Bleacher Report and Forbes.com. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone.
4: The Zone honors the greatest coach in Utah Jazz history and member of the Hall of Fame, Jerry Sloan. We, along with Jazz fans everywhere, mourn the loss of the coach we all grew up with, the man who went into battle with John and Carl. My coach. Who would argue with officials and would call for the pick and roll. Thank you, Coach Sloan, for sharing your love of the game and giving us all so many great memories. Celebrating the life of Utah Jazz legend, Jerry Sloan.
0: Top of the Wire update brought to you by Action Plumbing, Heating and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today. The phone number for Action Plumbing is 801-833-3333. That's 801 801-833-33. 833 Thirty-three, thirty-three. okay joining us now andy bailey on the sprint special guest line we make it safe and easy to get what you need online please visit sprint.com for online services and local store availability joining me now as i just said andy bailey covers the jazz for the bleacher report forbes.com andy good morning
2: morning how are you
0: you know, I am doing well. We've had you on the show a number of times, and something that I just discovered here recently, back in the 90s, I worked for the Salt Lake Tribune, and my assignment was college basketball. And I covered Utah during major's great runs, and then after the Olympics, they switched me over to BYU, and they had a
2: couple of tournament runs there. And
0: I did not know until recently, you're the brother of Marcus Bailey. Why didn't you tell me that?
2: I am the brother of Marcus Bailey and I, I should tell everybody that it's a point of pride for me for sure every once in a while when I see you know absolutely, I don't, I don't, I don't know what uh, clued you into that recently but maybe it was the fact that there were some Marcus Bailey highlights on the internet and I retweeted them and every time I see something like that I get a, I get a little swell with pride so it's um, definitely a really cool thing that was a fun fun time for college basketball and especially that conference
0: yeah. Now, for those who don't know, Marcus Bailey played for Wyoming and a local kid up the road there, in Cheyenne, if I remember correctly. And one of my favorite coaches, Steve McLean, was uh, <laughs> coaching at the time, if I remember correctly. A little bug-eyed Steve. Yep. And I had an opportunity to be around him. I always enjoyed going into Arita auditorium up there in Laramie, and I'd sit and press row, Uh, back from, and it's built like the Huntsman Center. It's almost exactly a replica. And I'd sit back a little bit, and to my left would be Steve McClain's wife. And she'd be screaming at the referees, but she had this little pipsqueak voice, and nobody could ever hear her. And she get up, and you didn't even know if she's standing because she's so small. But she screamed, "Ronnie Fernandez!" I just remember her screaming at Ronnie Fernandez, who was a referee. But nobody could hear her because the place was always packed when I went there because I was either there covering Utah with Majerus or BYU, and BYU obviously generates a lot of uh, emotion. So mm-hmm. my day of going to that place—I know it's been down a little bit, but it was—it was awesome. And they had some really good teams at that point. In fact. All those years that I covered, and I covered Utah 10 years, went to the Final Four, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, all that stuff. I don't believe that I ever covered Utah winning in Laramie.
2: Yeah, they had a they had a very good home court advantage uh, back then. I guess it wouldn't have been as big a deal for Utah, but the, the uh, elevation got to a lot of teams. Um, they packed that double-A yeah. when mark was there they had a future nba player on that team and josh davis um they, they had a davis, lot of good yeah. things going for them and, and like you said they've been down recently but i think the hire of jeff linder um i'm i'm optimistic about that i think they're going to get things turned around
0: now your brother uh had a really good career they i think when he was a junior they upset gonzag i want to say it was down at the pit yeah in the ncaa tournament and then they had really really high hopes the next season because they had that great season i think when he was a junior but when he's a senior he had the injury and he never came back if i remember correctly right
2: yeah so i i think he may have won mountain west player of the year as a junior i can't remember if it was his junior year or or his sophomore year but then yeah they they went in and they beat gonzaga in the first round and it was more than your typical 6-11 upset because I think Gonzaga was ranked third in the nation before the brackets came out. So the big story was Gonzaga got jobbed by their seeding. So they had that huge upset. And then it was going to be Mark's senior year the next season. And he tears his ACL, I think, nine games into the year. Um, and he came back too early from that. He, he tried the NBA Summer League that summer. He hadn't fully recovered yet. And it's, it jacked up his knee to the point where he still has problems with it to this day. He played professionally in Germany and England and and was actually pretty successful there, but he could only last a few seasons because the knee just never fully came back. I think we knew a lot less about ACL recoveries back then than we do now. I I think things have advanced quite a bit on that front. So he had the... I mean, injuries gets the best of a lot of guys, and I, that, that was definitely the case with Mark. I, I remember as a young kid thinking, my brother's going to be in the NBA, and it, it, I don't think it was that outlandish. He was a really, really good player, but injuries, um, they take a toll on a lot of people.
0: So what's he doing now?
2: He is a radiologist. He's a doctor in Texas. Oh, sweet. So, yeah. Man. So he, uh, he he played professionally for a little bit, once he realized uh, it was wasn't going to happen physically for him, he went on a mission for the um, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints in Germany. Then he played in Germany professionally for a little bit after that, and then in England. And eventually, he thinks I'm going to. I think he started medical school in his 30s, which is you know, that's a big <laughs> step to take um, at that point in your life. And yeah, he's a practicing doctor now with a wife and kids, and he's he's doing great.
0: Awesome. Andy Bailey covers the NBA for Utah jazz, uh, and the Jazz for Bleacher Report and Forbes.com. The brother of Marcus Bailey, who was a star at the University of Wyoming. I remember him well. I remember talking to him after some of those games. It was always fun to go up there because they had good teams. BYU and Utah had good teams. And so, yeah, it took me a long time to realize that you were related to him, <laughs> that he was your brother. But now that I know, I'm I'm good to go. It's good to catch up and see what he's doing. Glad to hear that he's doing well. I wanted to hit you up now. You know, Boyan Bogdanovich is going to have had the surgery, so he's going to be done, and and we'll see him next season, whenever that is, when that resumes. So, basically, uh, to an extent, the Jazz that we knew them for the 19 or for the 2019 2020 season. They're done in that respect because even if they come back, Bogdanovich is not going to play, right? So the the basic team that we knew it is done, and then, then they come back and they'll make some adjustments without Bogdanovich. But including what you saw of Bogdanovich and Conley and the returning guys, what was your evaluation of that group of the Jazz?
2: Well, the Bogdanovich loss, like you said, is just massive. Um he averaged 20 points, had a 60-plus true shooting percentage. Uh, his plus-minus, like the difference between when he's on the floor and off the floor, the only player who had a bigger swing was Rudy Gobert on the team. So that that's a gut punch. Um, and, I, you know, I remember when he hurt that wrist and for a few games afterward, he was, he was always sort of flexing it after he shot, and the fact that he was playing through what he was playing through, I think that says a lot uh, about him and, and the toughness uh, that he displayed throughout the season. He was a home run acquisition. Um, I think there were some people at the time when he was signed who kind of thought that's maybe a bit of an overpay, uh, but to me, he was he was worth every bit of that contract. He he was just hugely impactful, spreading the floor for Gobert and Mitchell, who likes to kind of work in the mid range and around the hoop. Um, having having a forward who spaced out to the three-point line and shot as well as Bogdanovich was just huge. Um, the other acquisitions were not quite as successful, obviously. Um, I just talked about the, the on-off swing of Bogdanovich, and it was actually negative for Mike Conley. Um, took him a while to get his footing, uh, and then he, he had sort of an unfortunate distinction of the Jazz's schedule softened up when he got hurt, and so it was really easy to point to, well, Conley's out, and now they're winning, Um, that, that was an obvious sort of, uh, takeaway to have, he had to dig a little bit deeper to see how much easier the schedule was over that point. Um, and it's really unfortunate that it seems like he was starting to finally figure out his role on the team and and kind of playing close to the way he was last season right before the season gets suspended. Um, and so in some alternate universe where this season plays out as normal, maybe he's fully up to speed by the postseason, and the jazz are a real threat. Um, but he's already had this up and down season. The season is suspended, which throws off the rhythm again. And now, when it comes back, Bogdanovich, Bogdanovich isn't going to be there. Um, so this this turned into a fairly chaotic, hectic year for the Utah Jazz. Hopefully, everybody can be you know fully healthy and back ready to go for next season. Uh, but I, I think without Bogdanovich, and I think another um, another sort of Warming up phase for Mike Conley could be could make things tough, especially if they do that one to sixteen playoff seeding that they're talking about, and they have to play Houston in the first round. Um, jazz fans surely have nightmares of playing James Harden in the playoffs at this point, and that would be just a really really tough matchup to start out with.
0: So, how much are you concerned that Conley will get it back? Maybe he won't get it back to the level he had at Memphis, but he'll get it back more than we expected. <sighs>
2: I if he can play, for, you know, whatever form they take for the rest of the season, if he can play basically at or just below the level he was at right before the season got suspended, I think that's a success. Um, I, I'm still not sure if that's a title contender, though. Losing Bogdanovich is just huge because then you bump up a bunch of guys from the bench into different roles, and it just throws everything off. Um, and the more I've watched the Jazz this season, the more I worry about that. That um, donovan mitchell call me backcourt generally because they're both very talented players obviously but those two guys in the same starting backcourt is just really small and in today's nba if you've got two guys i think once they adjusted the height this season was mitchell measured at 6-2 he came in at 6-1 um now that they're measuring players without heights and i think the same yeah. for Conley, both 6-1 that's just a really small backcourt in today's nba and that's more problematic on defense um, than it is on the other end so I'm, I'm still in the camp that long term Donovan Mitchell should probably be this team's point guard um, you surround him with with bigger guys who can defend wings and I, I, I think that's where the higher long-term ceiling is so that's a concern for me but I, I think if if Conley can get back to basically what he was right before the the whole league shut down then that that's a relative success.
0: Andy Bailey covers the NBA and Jazz for Bleacher Report and Forbes.com. You mentioned Mitchell, so he's finishing up his third season. Uh, How would you evaluate his season in terms of making the progress that you would expect a third-year player to make?
2: I I think there were good signs uh, from Donovan Mitchell this season. His true shooting percentage hovered right around league average. Um, This season I think maybe just a couple tenths of a point below uh, at this point, which is that that's a step up for him. Um, when you're a six foot one guard and you're around league average and league average takes into account a bunch of big guys. So that's that's a very efficient season for him. He was fantastic from the mid-range this year. I think he's one of the rare exceptions uh, in the NBA right now where you don't mind him taking mid-range shots because he can do it pretty efficiently. Um, I think there were stretches this season where he still took a lot of ill-advised shots, difficult shots. Um, And I I think he kind of feels like he's got to do that sometimes because there aren't a lot of other guys on that team who can just go get their own shot. Um, I think if he translates or or, uh, transitions some of those shots into passes, you know, dump offs to Gobert, um, kick outs to the three-point shooters on the outside, his assists go up a couple per game. I, I, I think he still has immense potential Um, It was another season of growth for him. I I think we kind of forget this is just his third season. Um, There's still plenty of time for this guy to grow and develop. And I think eventually, again, I think he's going to be a point guard. And that might not mean six, seven, eight assists a game, because there's playmaking from every position in the NBA now, especially for the Jazz. Um, But if he's your if he's your de facto one, I think his ceiling is even higher.
0: So you talk about Bogdanovich being a home run, particularly what the team lacked and what he brought to them, and it's hard to argue on that. I agree with you there. My thought for you is that they added the shooter in Bogdanovich, and you know got, having the opportunity to watch him play every day as opposed to when he was Indiana, and you know I am not focusing on the Eastern Conference or Indiana certainly as much as the Jazz in the Western Conference. So I thoroughly came, I think I came away thoroughly impressed with his game, and didn't realize he was as good. My thought for you is, you know, they add this shooting. They still have, with their center's position, what we consider the center's in him uh, today. Uh, neither of them, whether it be Bradley, if you want to throw Davis in there, too, and Gobert, are three-point threats. Do they need that or no?
2: I think they need a change of pace center behind Gobert. Um, I, I don't think we're ever going to reach a point where Gobert's shooting threes. Occasionally you'll get the, you know, social media video of him shooting, and, and people get a little bit excited, but I don't think that's something that he necessarily needs to mix in, but it would certainly help if they had a backup five who could do that, just so that you can give teams a different look um, now and then. I actually wrote something at some point this season about maybe even try Jarrell Brantley at the five. I I think he's maybe 6'5", 6'6", which is obviously very, very short for a center. Um, But if you're just playing him there in spurts and you can have a little little bit of playmaking, a little bit of shooting from the five, um, I think that's interesting. And, it's, you know, obviously it doesn't necessarily have to be him. We're coming up on another offseason, and maybe they can target somebody who can provide some of those things. But uh, in, in terms of impact, Gobert remains one of the most important, impactful players in the league and has been for five or six seasons now. Um, so I, I get uh, what a lot of people say, that, you know, the Jazz need to modernize, get more shooting, get more playmaking from the five. I don't think it should come at the expense of Gobert. I do think there needs to be sort of that change of pace. Center somebody who can give you that that stuff for spurts, or if you happen to come up against a team like the Houston Rockets, um, who've been sort of kryptonite for Gobert um, in some ways, then then you can play that playmaking five a little bit more in a game against a team like that or a series against a team like that. So, just having that option, I think, would certainly help the Jazz.
0: Well, I thought I was talking to Andy Bailey, but he's staying playing a six-five player at center. Now I think I'm think I'm talking <laughs> to Mike D'Antoni. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, me, and positionless basketball. Um, I remember when Quinn Snyder was first hired; that was like a big buzzword from him, and, and I've always been very, very big on that. And this is maybe a guy that's six foot six, six foot seven, who played some center in college. So maybe that's shading my perception a bit too.
0: Okay. Well I, I like the idea of the change of pace that seems to make yeah. sense for me because right now you know they improve their shooting obviously with Bogdanovich, but the league continues to uh, morph even to more shooting and so maybe if they had somebody that if they, if, they, if they needed to to go with the five guys and each one of them being a threat and uh, then maybe that causes a little bit of uh, dysfunction on the defensive end from the opponent, I guess is what you're saying.
2: Absolutely. And I, I think that we will hit a point. and And the NBA changes a lot. I mean, the people were talking about how the center position was dead five years ago, and now all of a sudden there's Joel Embiid and Nicole Jokic and Gobert, um, really dominant centers. But I do think four or five years from now, with the way the game is going now, we're going to see a lot more lineups that are like Mike D'Antoni's in Houston. Maybe not quite as dramatic with you know, 6'5", six five six six P.J. Tucker playing the bulk of the minutes at the five. Um, but I think you could see a lot of lineups where the entire group is basically like 6'5 to 6'9. They all dribble, they all pass, they all shoot, and it it just makes the lineup that much more dynamic and unpredictable when the attack can come from from any point on the floor or the shot can come from any point on the floor. So I think we're heading in that direction. Again, I'll I'll leave a caveat there that that could change, um, but that certainly seems to be the trend line that we're on right now.
0: Andy Bailey, the brother of former Wyoming basketball star Marcus Bailey, thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me, sir.
0: All right, that's Andy Bailey covers the NBA and the Jazz for Bleacher Report at Forbes.com. Oh, my gosh. Coming up next, they get dumped on again? What the freak is this? We'll explain. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone.
4: From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network.
0: Welcome back in. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday morning. All right, Yach, I saw you retweeted something. I saw it earlier this morning. Somebody put out the worst city in every state. Yep. And guess who is trending or what is trending? What city is trending here in Utah? That would be Provo, Utah. How is Provo the worst city in
3: the state of Utah? Well, as a kid who grew up in Orem, just up the hill from Provo, I'm happy to crap on Provo. <laughs> that's harsh (laughs) i'm just kidding my wife my mom is from provo she'd be very unhappy with me saying that so people why is provo
0: the worst city get on our app and tell us why is provo the worst city in the state of utah
3: i I need to know these responses i mean i know i've never lived there Uh, and the worst city in arizona is mesa i was gonna say mesa of all places Caldwell. Mesa. Now, I and did the, live in Mesa for a short period. You also got Caldwell, Idaho. I was surprised with that one as well. I don't know Caldwell, Idaho. I'm not familiar with that. I was just surprised that Caldwell, of all places, was the pick. But, hey, I know Hans and Scott are now debating this on the Internet as well when it comes to Idaho. So,
0: Well, both those kids, uh, both those guys, I should say, are from Idaho, so they would know far more about Caldwell. I have no idea about Caldwell. I can't answer. I can't speak to uh, that. Worst City in Washington. Spokane, is that because of John Stockton?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Gonzaga, man, it's just an awful place. The
0: Stocktons, if they weren't from Gonzaga or Spokane, Spokane would be
3: thought of a lot higher, right? Uh, maybe so. Uh, I was actually surprised as well because like, of the surrounding states. Sparks, Nevada, okay, I understand that a little bit. Rock Springs, Wyoming. Pueblo, Colorado surprised me a little bit as well. I love Pueblo. It's a pretty part of the country, I feel like.
0: That's down south, right? Yeah, down kind
3: of the southwestern corner of Colorado. Yeah,
0: I have not been to Pueblo. I've been to Denver and Fort Collins and Colorado Springs for work a million times. Okay, you're
3: a California guy, PK. California, they split it in two. They went with a Northern California and a Southern California. Northern California, Modesto. Southern California, Bakersfield.
0: I've been to both of those communities. Bakersfield, it gets hot. But you know, I'm from Arizona, so I know all about heat. Yes, uh, and it's kind of dusty out in the middle of nowhere. Now, Modesto, I didn't realize this, but uh, DJ brought this up the other day. He referenced the film uh, American Graffiti, and I think that's where they said that uh, movie was based out of Modesto. Oh, okay. I did not. I did not know that until I just saw like. Preview of uh, it's I was watching television last night and they were talking about a preview coming on. A bunch of big names were in that: Ron Howard and uh, uh, Dreyfus and uh, yeah. what's his face, uh, Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford, yeah. Uh, and it was based out of a out of a, out of Modesto. So I mean, those aren't glamour spots. They're obviously inland, along uh, I think they're along the five freeway there, and uh, they're sort of dusty compared to some of those places. So there's probably somebody worse, something worse. I've been to Rock Springs. I probably still go with Laramie, although I love—I I always enjoy the people. <laughs>
3: Laramie's got its charm to it, but I would have picked a Laramie over Rock Springs, absolutely. Maybe I don't know Camden,
0: New Jersey, my other state.
3: As I was gonna say, up in New Jersey, they got Camden there. They get it right.
0: Yeah, that's right outside of Philadelphia, and that is a—that's a, a tough—a tough part. Now in Florida, where they may have the NBA,
3: is Orlando. The land of theme parks is the worst city in Orlando. Come on, y'all. Yeah, that's what it says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dallas in Texas. Dallas. Yeah, that was kind of surprising. Uh, Albany, New York. The why does Provo cap. suck? Yeah, why does Provo suck? Give us state your give us your reasoning. Yeah,
0: yeah.
3: I was <laughs> Provo gets the pick. Why not? The worst city. Why not Scipio? Why not? I don't know. Name your city in Utah. Uh, all sorts of dink places I've never been. <laughs> There's uh, a lot of them. Price
0: I've never been. Uh, Panguitch, Panguitch, uh, Utah. Just off the to- top of my head, there. Uh, Logan. Why not Logan? Why is Provo worse than Logan? All you Logan people, you Utah State people, tell us why is Logan better than Provo? I mean, I've just basically lived here along the Wasatch Front, only been here for 25 years, so I can't speak to why Provo. I only go down for BYU. Why is it? Why does Provo suck? Help me out here. All right, coming up next, our man, Gordon Monson, is going to rejoin us, and we look forward to that at 9 o'clock hour. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone.